happened to me when I went to Portugal that I saw, okay, this is how life is supposed to be in terms of safety, in terms of stability and so on. I said, I'm, I'm not going back. I'm doing everything that I can from now on to be able to provide that type of lifestyle to me. That Brazil, even though it's beautiful, it's not a safe place. So I think at that point on, I made the decision that um, I could work hard and I, I'm, I don't get tired very often. And, um, and I just could do it. I, I could do it. And in my mind was, if I can do it, why not? If I, if I have the ability, why not? So I have, a, I, have a, I, I understand when sometimes people say that opportunities were not given to them. But to be quite honest, I think to a certain extent, you create opportunities for yourself. You find out. You find a way to find out. Um, and, and that's what I did. What's printing my blood vessels? My name is Jeff. I'm the co-host of How It's Med, the podcast where we chat with incredible innovators in the field of health tech, such as today's guest, Dr. Carolina Valente, CEO of Voxel by Innovation and Assistant Teaching Professor at UVic. Carolina, how are you doing? I'm, I'm doing okay. How are you doing, Jeff? I, as we talked about off air, it's <laughs> it's it's been it's been a it's been a rough time, but. I mean, we, we chatted a little bit about how busy you are with your pre-seed financing as well. Like all of that running back and forth, chatting with investors mm-hmm. and managing your company as well. That must be super busy too, eh? It is. It's definitely a full-time job on top of everything. So fundraising has been interesting. We are in our pre-seed round right now. So 60% of the round is closed. Uh, we are seeking the remaining and it has been a lot of conversation with investors and also a lot of conferences going on over this summer right now. So we have been going uh, and presenting in a lot of different places, U.S. Uh, many times. So that has been definitely quite interesting <laughs> and busy. And the team is growing. We are now um, almost, I think, 14 or 15 people. So the team is definitely growing too. So has been keeping me busy for sure. Yeah, I ask this to almost everyone who comes on. <laughs> but how do you balance that all? Because managing a team, flying all over everywhere to raise, pitching, all of that seems like it takes a, a superhuman amount of time to, to, to get this company going, keep going. Yeah, it's, it definitely requires a lot of dedication. I'm not going to deny that and requires a lot of time management. But I think the important part right now is I have a very strong management group, finally. So it took some time for us to get to that point in which the management team is actually quite strong. So I have been able to delegate tasks uh, very efficiently. So I think that that took time. That took time. That definitely <laughs> took time to get there, and, and it took a little bit of resistance on my part too. But I think we finally clicked, and that has been helping a lot. Yeah, I yeah. I, I totally understand the the steps needed to be taken in that direction. <laughs> it's hard sometimes, it but is. on a more <laughs> on a more human lens, like what are what are you doing nowadays to to recharge, like? Do you even have time to recharge at all? I mean, um, I, I, I always joke that I don't understand the concepts of hobbies uh, because I don't have much. <laughs> so, but I, but the beauty, <laughs> yeah. So I don't, I don't really understand the concept of hobbies. But what, what is interesting is I think it's all my work, especially in Voxel. I'm, I'm allowed to be myself, and I'm allowed to, to do what I love. 
Um, so I think that's also why I don't need extra hobbies outside this because I actually love my, my role at, at Voxel. And on top of it, the UVic job, I actually love teaching. I, I love inspiring people, which is a little bit of what, what I do at Voxel too. Um, so I, I don't think I need extra hobbies, but it's definitely a fine balance and it's definitely very long hours. Um, and uh, what keeps me going, to be very, very honest, is this amazing group of people that are working with me in this company. And they are the ones that keep me going. Yeah. So. Couldn't have spoken it better. But speaking more <laughs> about, I guess, congruency with who you are and your journey, we talked a little bit like way before about how you didn't begin your journey like way back at the beginning. You didn't begin with engineering. You began with an interest in humanities. Tell yeah. me a little bit about how that started. Yeah, so I think um, so. I did. I, I did my high school in Brazil, and and um, and that's you need to. I live on the last year, grade twelve. You need to define where your path is going to go in terms of a university. And I really wanted to go to law. Um, I I really wanted to make a difference, and I'm quite good at speaking up. I I don't hold back my opinions. I'm very good at that. Um, so I really wanted to go to law, but I know I knew at that point that I was going against um, a little bit of what my family background was because everyone in my family is a mechanical engineer. Every single person in my family is a mechanical engineer, except my mom. My mom is an electrical engineer. Um, and I think mid um, grade 12, I, I changed my mind. So I decided I think I'm going to go to engineering. And at that point, um, as I mentioned to you, I, I had already been taking a lot of history and geography that was very intensive. And I said, oh, my God, now I have to catch up on all the math and physics and chemistry. Um, and I did it. And I went to chemical engineering. So it was an interesting because at that point I was in Brazil. That's where I did my undergrad. And the oil and gas industry, as you can imagine, is pretty big in Brazil. And that's what I wanted. I wanted as my dream job as to be deployed in the middle of the ocean for 15 days and then come back for another 15 days. And I, I, I am not scared of working very hard. So that was what I wanted as my dream job. And then when I went to chemical engineering, as I started seeing how interdisciplinary engineering could be, and that was not something that I knew before going to engineering and then the path started changing from the oil and gas into more the medical um the biomedical side that's what ended up um taking me here yeah yeah that i guess <laughs> has that that's that's quite the turn from an yeah. interest in law to oil mm -hmm. and gas all the way to biomedical engineering did you ever manage to actually get onto one of the rigs at all um, not really. Um, my uncle um, walked his whole life like that. And I, I think I, I got to see a little bit the benefits, but I also got to see a little bit of the downsides, the, the impact that it has on the family of being away for so long. Um, the fact that they had to move a lot of times during the year, depending on where he was assigned to. So, so that part for me was um, not very interesting anymore. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. As you, as you, as you grow up, I think the whole family aspect starts to become more apparent for absolutely. sure. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, you you mentioned or you left off your little, I guess, snippet there about how you went into biomedical engineering. Mm -hmm. Were there any particular, I guess, uh, I guess, incidents, 
um, mm -hmm. that inspired you at all to further pursue that field? Because you had to somehow go from biomedical engineering in Brazil to, I mean, the rest mm -hmm. of your journey, which we talked about, but which I don't want to spoil right now. <laughs> yeah, no, no, that was, that was my first year of undergrad in chemical engineering in Brazil. I had the opportunity to do a co-op, which doesn't happen very often because co-ops are normally second or third year in Brazil. Um, so I had the opportunity to do a co-op. I was selected to do a co-op. And one of my first labs uh, doing a co-op was actually working with polymer particles that are injected in the patient before they get their tumor removed. So cancer patients that have tumors that are quite vascularized and see how things and ended up connecting in the end, but that tumors that are quite vascularized, um, they were injected polymer particles to kind of stop those blood vessels feeding the tumor, which allows the tumor to shrink a little bit. So that shrinking part of the tumor allows for removal more easily. Um, so that was my first co-op experience and I ended up doing two more co-ops with them uh, in the same lab. And that but was my first time seeing that engineering could be having, have a very big impact in the medical field. And then from there on, it was um, going towards my master's. So I moved from Brazil to do my master's in, in Portugal. Also in chemical engineering, but my master's was also, again, more towards biomed, in which I was um, studying, uh, studying um, the blood oxygenators. So the ECMO machine is that in which uh, the blood is recirculated outside the body, oxygenated and put it back when people are having heart or want surgery. And I was trying to create better membranes uh, for those blood oxygenators to oxygenate the blood faster. So. And then from there on, I came to Canada to do my PhD. And at that point, I was, I knew that I could define my path on the PhD was a little bit more flexible in that aspect. And I, and I knew I wanted to do something related to cancer. So cancer was always my passion. And I, I never quite understood um, why it has been around for such a long time. And we have done some progress, but not too much progress. So I wanted to study cancer with that engineering perspective. And that's what I did um, when coming to Canada to do my PhD at UVic. Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good overview of your journey mm -hmm. overall. But mm -hmm. I think you that that was a multi-year-long journey. <laughs> you had to, yeah, you had to go through some pretty extenuating circumstances to mm -hmm. to get to Portugal and then mm -hmm. to come to Canada. I, mm -hmm. I guess could you elaborate more on those difficulties that you faced? Because yeah. I mean, your your path wasn't a straight line from from Brazil to Europe to Canada at all, and I think that's absolutely fascinating. Yeah, and I and I think that's what happens with with a lot of the young people at the university. Not all of them have a plan, and I didn't have a plan. I knew the passions, and I knew, um, and and that's the difference. I'm I'm good at everything. And anything I touch, I can easily understand and become good at it. And that's by working hard. So, so, so that's, that's what it is. Um, so I knew that any path I took, I would eventually thrive. Um, but the, the passion that I really had was that connection with medicine, but not enough to go to med school. That was the fine line there. I'm not enough to go to med school because I'm, I'm, I can be a little bit uh, soft sometimes. I'm not very soft, but I can be a little bit soft 
and then going to med school, I'm not sure if I was built to interact with people and learn their 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 background and and, and then engaging in a, in a sense of learning the disease and so on. So I'm not sure if I'm, I'm good at that and that aspect, if that makes sense. Um, but I didn't I didn't have a plan. So I, I let life take me and and any opportunity that I saw, I I just I just did what I could. So when I went to Portugal, actually the plan to go to Portugal was to do my last year of undergrad and go back home. So that's the difference with me is I make opportunities. I make things happen for myself. Um, so when I went to Portugal and I did my six months, I said, I'm not going back. So I'm going to find a way to stay here. So I transferred my entire undergrad to Portugal. I transferred everything. I actually ended up graduating from my undergrad from Portugal. So I have no degree from Brazil, actually, um, even though I, need, I did 95% in Brazil. Um, and in Portugal, I said, I'm staying and I need to find a way to do my master's degree here. And then um, learning about this professor in Portugal that was doing these membranes for blood oxygenated, I said, oh, that's, that's very interesting. I'm going to go talk to her and I'm going to tell her that I, I will work very hard. Um, and that's what I did. And then when I was in Portugal, I, pro I met a professor from UVEC. Um, so he was there and um, he was telling how, how great Canada was. And at that point, um, I, I thought, okay, let's, let's try Canada uh, for a PhD. And I applied for different places. I applied for UFT, I applied for Calgary, I applied for UVic, I applied for many different places. And, and, I, and then in the end, I could choose where to go. Mm -hmm. And that was the interesting part. The idea of coming to UVic, it was, at that point, it was very strategic. I think that was the only time in my life in which I actually sat and thought, okay, now where do I go? Because I could go to UFT, it's a very, very big university. I heard amazing things about that. And that point, I think it was, okay, I want to be a big fish in a small pond. And that was the end of the story. So that's what it took me to UVEC. I knew that if I came here, I would be able to create a large impact. That's, I, I want to dig a bit more into the thinking behind that because I always have so far heard, try to be the small fish in the big pond because you want to be able to learn from everyone around you. But you flip that logic on its head and we're like, okay, this is where I'll make the biggest impact. And I, I understand that. It makes sense to me. But like, I, I, I just, I'm, I'm not able to clearly articulate as to how you could have possibly come up with that, like, you know, counterfactual thinking. Yeah, I think I, I, I knew, for example, and I'm going to keep using the UFT analogy or comparison mm. because it's a big university and I heard amazing things and how, how smart people are. And I am, I am quite smart and I am very hardworking, but to be noticed, it takes the extra mile, right? And that's what I wanted here at UVEC. And I wanted to be able to be noticed quickly. And uh, being a big fish in a small pond, that's what allows you to do is to be mm -hmm. able to make that difference quickly. Um, and, and that was the strategy around um, UVEC. And then when I came to do my PhD in my first, my second year of PhD, I was already teaching the class as not as a teaching assistant anymore, but as the professor, as a sessional instructor wow. on my second year. So I have been teaching here uh, with my current role since it was my second year of my PhD. Um, and that again, that was from 
uh, being able to stand out very easily in a small crowd. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. I mean, if there's anything that I've understood from talking to you from so far, you're someone who's very confident in her own abilities and her own work ethic, as well as someone who values standing out. Yeah, I'm not so sure that I've encountered that very often uh, in, in the context of everyone that I've chatted with so far. Like, why do you think those characteristics or attributes are so important to you? Um, I, I don't know. I think it's a little bit related to where I grew up. Um, it's, it's, my family is quite big. Um, and even Brazil, it's, it's a massive country. To, to be able to stand out, you need to have that work ethic. You need to, to work hard. You need, it's smart to take you so far. The remaining is working very, very hard. So I, uh, and I, I think that was ingrained for my father. My father works quite hard um, every single day. He still does. He's 65 and he still works very hard every single day. And uh, I think I was, I was built up like this. And, um, and then, and, and again, it's, it's, it was, I was born in a place that I didn't have everything. So, like even safety, it wasn't a safe place. So you, the whole goal for me, even when I was a kid, was to find a way to get out. Um, so I learned, I, I heard about this the other days, people saying, anytime you have a chance, um, travel in, in, in first class. Even if you don't have the money, find a way to travel in first class. Because after that, your brain is going to keep trying to find ways to go back to first class. And I think that's what um, happened to me when I went to Portugal, that I saw, okay, this is how life is supposed to be in terms of safety, in terms of stability and so on. I said, I'm, I'm not going back. I'm doing everything that I can from now on to be able to provide that type of lifestyle to me, that Brazil, even though it's beautiful, it's not a safe place. So I think at that point on, I made the decision that um, I could work hard and I, I'm, I don't get tired very often. And, um, and I just could do it. I, I could do it. And in my mind was, if I can do it, why not? If, if I have the ability, why not? So I have, a, I, have a, I, I understand when sometimes people say that opportunities were not given to them. But to be quite honest, I think to a certain extent, you create opportunities for yourself. You find out. You find a way to find out. Um, and, and that's what I did. Yeah. Fascinating. Um, I, I guess like it's, it's, it's really cool how, I guess, you've articulated the fact that you've understood what it means to have a lack of safety as well as other yeah. things that some people might take for given in Canada. Yeah. for example, and that's what drives you. But yeah. I think the flip side to that as well is like, oh, as mentioned, <laughs> there you go. my cat just walks into the frame. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> um, as, as, as like, uh, how did, how did that, I guess, desperation or desire it, it, yeah, to, yeah. to, 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 to keep, I guess, building tie into cancer? Was there anything particular that inspired you overall to go that direction? Because you, you've done so much work in like blood vessels, ECMO, et cetera, that yeah. pivot to cancer doesn't necessarily click for me right away. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
when I think the cancer touched a little bit more um, on on the family side because mm-hmm. I, when when I was younger, I remember my mom going through um through breast cancer and that that wasn't fun. So it touched a little bit on, on that side. At least, um, yeah. yes, yeah, exactly. And then um, and then um, when I had the opportunity for the PhD to do my PhD at Uvic, and I even got the chance to choose what I wanted to do. I knew that I wanted to do any something related to breast cancer, and at that point, I my mind was going. So we we know breast cancer for a while has been around for so many years. What what don't we understand yet? And and then my mind started going to well, we keep saying that cancer is very heterogeneous. There all the cancers are quite different, but there has to be something common around them like it has to be something common between between the different types of solid tumors that's what i'm talking about and and that's where my mind started going let's let's try to understand from an engineering perspective what is the impact of the cancer environment inside of the body that is making drugs not reach to them properly um and and that's what became the big question of my phd and of course the more you learn the more you read and the more you try you start narrowing down and i started narrowing down to the really key um mechanical parameters in the cancer environment that makes drug therapies become quite inefficient in terms of delivery yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. i guess you you mentioned solid tumors there right away. And um, just for those who are less uh, familiar with the solid versus liquid classification of tumors, um, could you give like a brief, you know, 30 second rundown uh, in a way that you would speak to a five-year-old to explain the work that you were doing in mm-hmm. the microenvironment space? Because I think to yeah. some extent, that ties into and builds a basis for what Voxel is doing to some extent. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So when I'm talking about solid tumors, I'm talking about tumors that actually have a specific location inside of the body. So it's sitting inside of an organ, for example, and it's sitting inside of that healthy cell environment, inside of the happy environment in which the organs are. And it's kind of localized in that area. Of course, that, that it can migrate from different locations inside of the body. But it's having an impact on that healthy tissue in that healthy organ, um, and and it's changing um, the, that environment of the healthy organ, and that's what Voxel is trying, um, what we are we are investigating, and trying to mimic it uh, outside of the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay, so I'm I'm gonna talk mm-hmm. a little bit more about your PhD now because we've talked okay. a little bit about what it was about that you yeah. started teaching in, in, in it, but you did your PhD in microfluidics. I um, and I, I guess, was there any particular reason why you took that particular route? Like I can, I can vaguely connect the idea of microfluidics to the microenvironment, which mm-hmm. cancer cells have. Yeah. Um, but was there, is, was it like a specific moment or did you have to spend time narrowing down, as you said, into that area? And were there any was there any guidance by specific instructors that allow you to pursue that mm-hmm. path to your own customization? Yeah, no, that's a very interesting question. So the microfluidics, when I started my PhD, the, the microfluidics was kind of, the field was kind of exploding with the new organs on a chip and people trying to mimic organs inside of this um, device. And and what is interesting, and I'm teaching a microfluidics course right now at UVic during the summer, that's what I teach. And um, what is interesting is, 
everything that you learn from fluid mechanics, everything that you learn from fluid movement in large pipes, when you scale that down, it changes a lot. But we understand um, that scaling laws um, quite well. So we understand how to mimic um, everything in a, in a micro scale quite well. And um, the microenvironment of the microfluidic, what it allows is fluid manipulation in a sense that you can mimic blood vessels very well. Um, and because, so the, the way that it works, and I'm going to just briefly explain this, it's in a large pipe, if you're passing water, when you scale that down, water behaves like honey. So it becomes quite viscous because it's so much interaction with the wall of that small channel that the viscosity of the fluid becomes a very, very important parameter at that point. So it was quite, quite um, interesting to be able to mimic the blood vessel in terms of drug delivery in these small channels with having a very high control of that of that fluid movement. So the microfluidic was my idea. At that point, I was reading a lot about organs on a chip and people trying to mimic tumors and um, inside of this device. And my whole goal was actually to mimic not just the tumor area, but the, the drug delivery side. So the way that my device worked, I have the, a main channel in which my tumor was, and I had two side channels in which my blood vessels were passing, delivering drug. So I was able to mimic not just the blood vessel movement of the fluid, but also the pressurized fact that blood vessels are pressurized. So I was able to mimic that too. And another parameter of the tumor microenvironment, and going back to the solid tumors, is that you have these cancer cells growing in a place that they are not supposed to be. They're growing within healthy cells and they're not supposed to be there. So what they start creating, they start kind of squeezing the healthy cells around. And what that does, it creates a very increased amount of pressure in that tissue. So now when before um, you were relying on your blood vessels to deliver drugs by that pressure gradient in the tumor area being pressurized, you don't have that pressure gradient anymore. So that's why delivery of therapies is so inefficient to some solid tumors. So I was able to mimic that inside of a microfluidic device to mimic that tumor area being highly pressurized. And now analyzing how the pressure in the blood vessel was not efficient anymore, was not sufficient anymore to deliver therapy. So, so that's where I spent a lot of my time of my PhD. And all of these uh, delivery of those drugs were done by tagging molecules by, by fluorescence. So I spend a lot of time uh, in front of this fluorescent microscope. I joke with people because the fluorescent microscope is in a basement at UVic, so it's very dark room. Um, and it has a, a loud air conditioner. So I joke about spending many nights in there. Um, and it was like a great environment because I love sleeping with a white noise. So it was like perfect for me to be there. It was like dark and had this white noise. And I, 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 I spent a lot of my time in this, uh, in this very big confocal microscope uh, machine that we have here at UVEC. And that's where I spent um, doing all my PhD. So from there on, Voxel was really the blood vessels are not being seen the way that they should, especially on the cancer environment. So because, so what happens and that goes back, and if I'm going too deep into the science, you please stop me, Jeff. But what happens is because that healthy cells now are being squeezed around by the cancer cells, 
they can, the blood vessel structure of the tissue becomes quite disorganized. And what the cancer cells do is they start sending signals to the blood vessels to say, okay, feed me. And the blood vessels start growing in a very disorganized manner to feed the cancer environment. And I thought, okay, we are finding ways to, going back to my undergrad, finding ways to decrease that blood vessel around. But what if we could have used that blood vessel as a benefit? If we understand very well how that blood vessel network works, um, what if we could use that as a benefit to deliver drugs to that specific location? And that's exactly what my main goal with, uh, with Voxel. It's to find a way to mimic that tumor environment artificially. So I like to call the tissues that we are creating at Voxel as artificial biopsy samples. That is a little piece of the tumor. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of How It's Med. If you liked what you heard, the best way to support us is to go to your podcast platform, be it Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Spotify, whatever you like, and to give us a rating and a recommendation or a comment so that others can best find us. If you can't do that, then we'd really appreciate it if you could share your favorite episode with those that you care about and who you think would find our work interesting. Till next time.